uh, this is just a very sudden Twitter space from us. I just uh, talked to Mr. Sunny 10 minutes ago. I was like, yo, Mr. Sunny, do you want to do a space about Malaysia's economy? And he's like, yeah, sure, let's go. And here we are. <laughs> so, so we don't have actually a lot of things planned for the night. We just plan to do this session for about, I think, 45 minutes to an hour because because uh, everybody needs to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow is a public holiday. Oh, oh, yeah. I forgot. It's a public holiday. Yes, no wonder you're not so many, No wonder so many people here in Singapore is not a public holiday. <laughs> yes, no wonder so many people join yeah, tonight yeah, because yeah, tomorrow yeah. is a public holiday and, for Malaysia. And I think the when's the next match? 12, at 12, is it? You mean the World yeah, Cup yeah. match? I don't, I don't, I don't watch the oh, World Cup. I think it's at twelve, so I think everybody will start knocking off at twelve. <laughs> okay, then then we will keep our session fast and furious. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> that it ends by twelve. But um, for those of you guys in the audience, right? If you guys want to join us in this discussion, if you guys want to come up to the stage and 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 share us your opinions or questions, please do not hesitate. Uh. this session is entirely open. And mostly today we will just talk about. I mean, tonight we will just talk about uh, what's what's next for we believe for Malaysia's economy. Uh, would the ringgit uh, sustain its rally against the US dollar? Um, uh, is is all the clouds has all the clouds dispersed already or not? You know, are, are we can we avoid a recession in twenty twenty three now that uh, Anwar has been elected? All these things we will talk about uh, tonight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I just want to quickly do a brief introduction on uh, Mr. Sunny, just in case you guys do not know. He's a certified financial planner and an economist, 30 years of experience in the markets. But despite his qualifications, uh, he will tell you that whatever he says tonight is not financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> true, very true. Okay, so 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 do not take what we say and then well, I'll go massive, go long on the US dollar. <laughs> Bitcoin for that, you know. Yeah, that's 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 not what we want you to do. Lah. But uh Mr. Sunny, I, I think this week or last week has been quite eventful, huh? Yeah. I'm being appointed and, and, and I just wanna I just wanna just have a bit of your opinions. Are you surprised that Anwar got elected or, or, or was it in the cards all along? Um well, you know, prior to the election itself, you'll find that some commentators had already written that it would be a hung parliament or hung election. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. So people did the numbers, they ran through the numbers and they felt no one would actually get the majority. So that the so the fact it was a hung parliament wasn't a surprise. So I think the surprise was basically how the coalitions at the end of the day turned out uh, because um, 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 especially because Barisan lost so much. Um, you know, everybody expected Barisan to be at least one of the, the major parties and then from then on you'll get the jigsaws coming together but but turned out that Barisan became one of the uh, kingmakers or, or, or at least, you know, majority in terms of the, the smaller smaller guys. So that shuffled things around. Um, but at the end of the day, I think, um, um, again, whether it's PN or, or PH and such, I think the markets itself welcomed the fact that it was settled fairly quickly. You know, markets are very funny. Um, you know, you, you, whether it's PN, PH and or, or whoever the case is, if it drags on, the market just doesn't like it. If it settles fast, then the market is actually much in a much better position. I think that's what we saw uh, uh, over the, the, the rebound uh, right after the, uh, the announcements. Mm-mm-mm. But the thing that I noticed about the, uh, I, I mean, good point you mentioned right there, like the hung parliament is definitely not good for Malaysia's economy and also the Bursa market. Mm. When, when, when we had uh, close to 
before Anwar got elected, like, the two, three days before that, like, uh, Brigatan National kind of like said that it was in the bag already. They already made deals with uh, uh, the GPS and also tried to, to try to have the collation of the parties. Mm. At that point of time, the stock market, uh, in particular, sin stocks, uh, stocks like Ding, mm. Magnum, mm. Mm. <laughs> they dropped like a stone, you know. When I was looking at the stock market, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And, and, and uh, it goes to... It, the, other, the other speculation that I might have is that if Barikata National won, would it have a different reaction? Would it have an opposite reaction that... Uh, the stock market might have tanked. Malaysian Malaysian ringgit might have continued its downtrend, because is is it entirely possible, or is this just like purely based on once a leader gets elected, then the markets will resolve itself? Uh, uh, good question. I think uh, it really depends. Um, had they come out after, let's say, assuming they would have been elected, had they come out very strongly to introduce measures which were less business friendly mm-hmm. or, or less friendly to certain sectors like the sin sectors and such, mm-hmm. then of course you would have that reaction. So that, 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 that pre-reaction was basically in anticipation of something like that. So market always reacts ahead of, of the real news. Um, but because it didn't happen, then of course everything reversed back again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and we're looking at the ringgit right now, right? It's, if you if you were if you guys are at home, you have a laptop, you can immediately go to Trading View, search USD MIR, you will be shocked. Let me tell you that the past, I would say, two weeks or one week alone, the US dollar has really dropped like like a stone against the Malaysian ringgit. Uh. Can you explain what's going on? Uh? Because I know uh, a majority of the people think that it's because of Anwar getting appointment, but getting appointed as the Malaysia's 10 Prime Minister. Like, how true is this? Are there, are there other factors at play over here when we talk about the Malaysian ringgit strength or perhaps the US dollar's weakness? Mm. Yeah, I, I did see um, people debating whether the ringgit strength was on the back of Anwar's uh, election and, and so on. Um, let's put it this way. Um, when I had a look at it, I think um, there were there were some um, there's there's some basis to that um, because um, you know whenever you look at currencies there in order to get a good picture you need to look at several different viewpoints. A lot of people looked at the DXY the dollar index and say that oh you know dollar index has come off um, dollar is weak uh, therefore ringgit by right should have strengthened regardless of whether Anwar uh, would have been elected or not. I mean that's one dimension of it. Um, but you need to add on another dimension and, and maybe even say that, okay, how how did the ringgit do against other cross-currencies like Sing dollars, uh, Thai baht, Indonesian rupiah? Because then that gives you a better idea of the ringgit's strength against some regional currencies and not just the dollar index. And mind you, the dollar index is the majority is euro and, and, and yen. So when you do a little bit of this kind of deeper dive into this kind of analysis, uh, it did show that basically... Um, the ringgit did have, have some individual ringgit strength by itself. It wasn't just dollar weakness that, that drove it down. So I would attribute that to, to, to uh, uh, Anwar's um, uh, election, or at least in a general way, uh, the political impasse being, being uh, over and, 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 and the market's just reversing some of the negativity that, it, that, was, um, that was seen prior to that. So there was some of that. But overall, it, it's clear to see um, that it's the dollar weakness which is actually driving not only ringgit but many other currencies uh, over the short run. Mm, yeah, so so definitely uh, Amwa's appointment played, I would say, a, a key role 
in a bit of the ringgit strength that we're seeing right now. But the but okay, now that we have the ringgit strengthening to about 4.46, 4.47, the next question that people like us will ask is that where next? Where are we going next? Will the ringgit continue to strengthen next week? Are we looking at it dropping back to 4.40? Maybe even some people I see I see on Twitter is that it's time to go back to 4.0, guys. Boys and girls, I tell you, it's going back to 4.0. Within this year, uh, I don't know such a bold prediction. Okay, I don't know, but 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 pos- is it possible or not? Are, are we looking at the ringgit to improve upcoming months as this new government plays out, or or do we have to adopt the wait and see method? If you are talking about the ringgit, uh, just solely on the ringgit, itself, yes, solely the ringgit, yes, yeah, solely on the ringgit itself. Um, the ringgit is driven by the balance of payments. Okay, so if you look at the, if you understand what the balance of payment is, it is basically, it comprises basically two two accounts, um, the so-called uh, current account, uh, which takes into account the export and import of a country. So again, export and import will translate into what we call demand and supply for ringgit. If you want to, if you ex- you export more, uh, you will obtain uh, uh, more dollars. If you if you imp- uh, if you import more, you will actually uh, obtain. Uh, you need to demand more dollars. So all all of those have have what we call uh, implication of demand and supply on uh, ringgit against certain trading partner currencies. So put it one side, okay? Then the other side is the financial financial accounts that takes into account the basically the FDI flows, the the flows into the stock markets, flows into the bond market. So as more money moves into Malaysia, then the demand for ringgit will increase. As more money moves out of Malaysia from these markets, demand for ringgit will decrease. So so this balance of payment takes into account both character current account and also this uh, uh, financial account and there's, there's a smaller capital account. So all of this interact to give you the so-called uh, equilibrium demand supply of, of the ringgit itself. Yeah. So the ringgit's direction is mainly a function of two major developments in the future. Number one, um, will Malaysia remain competitive? So therefore, it exports uh, 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 much more, has a current account surplus. Uh, um, you know, um, uh, its 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 manufacturers um, earn a lot in dollars, bring it back, and then they have to convert it to ringgit. So demand for ringgit, okay, or 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 will the capital accounts, stock market, bond market, property markets, or uh, attract money in? Um, and there will be FDI inflows and so on. Yeah. So you can see from there, it has got to do with a couple of things. Political stability, uh, uh, policy which which investors like, um, um, but also to an extent how the global economy uh, is performing. Also. So, so it's a very um, uh, delicate and complicated interaction between all these things. But what I can say is if the domestic policies uh, are correct, it's very business uh, uh, competitive. It attracts inflows of foreign direct investment. Um, people start investing in the bond, Malaysian bonds, Malaysian stocks, Malaysian assets. Um, that in itself would solve or, or that itself would underpin the ringgit in a very large way. Yeah. So so um, looking forward to hear what the next FM or even the administration, Anwar administration has to has to say um, with regards to this kind of, um, this side of it, basically. Yeah, good points over there, Mr. Sani. Uh, I do just want to cover a bit on the recent thread that you wrote before I go on over to 
uh, questions from the audience over here because I'm having some speaker requests. By the way, guys, for those of you guys in the audience, just to gently remind you guys, uh, this session is extremely casual. We're just having a chill talk over here. If you guys want to come up, join the discussion, please do request to be a speaker. I'll approve you guys. Uh, but your recent thread, which I also put it up on this space right here. You guys can scroll through. Uh, some quick thoughts sent to my consultants yesterday on the 24th of November. You talked about how the, how the uh, FBM KLCI, the Malaysian stock market, mm. rallying to 1,500 points. We also saw relief rallies across even the bond markets. But then you said that we do not expect it to signal a bottom given that global macro factors continue to dictate. Mm. So this in itself is, 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 is this uh, market rally that we're currently seeing temporary euphoria? It won't last. Mm. And then uh, at the end of the day, it will reattach back itself into the uh, global market like you mentioned, is it? Yeah, yeah. I think it, it will be the case. I mean, let's face it, like every one of us who is, uh, let's say, for example, a, a stock investor, an equity investor, yeah, as much as we like um, um, to say that, you know, the political situation is okay, you know, uh, at the end of the day, the global factors will dictate. If Wall Street falls, then the KLCI will fall. We're having brewing problems in China now, not only from COVID, but there are news of unrest happening on the streets of China, which is also quite unnerving. Uh, if China slows down, then let's face it, the ASEAN region will also be dragged down. If the situation in Europe doesn't improve, which it doesn't look as though it will, um, the whole world will most likely be in a global recession next year, which again, Malaysia being an open economy will also be dragged down. And therefore, it just can't run away from the fact that the stock market itself will also be, be dragged down in tandem with all other stock markets in that case. So, so unfortunately, um, um, macro factors do dictate especially if Malaysia is a very small market that's that's in the in this swimming in this pool of larger larger markets um, so yeah so basically that's that's about it I, that's what I was trying to say like at the end of the day macro factors globally will dictate mm. but you also covered within that thread uh, also talking about how Anwar has to pick up his feet and really be quick on his heels la, and, in, and implement retabulate the 2023 budget and also mm-hmm. I think the right finance minister. And let's say, what if he does that? Okay, what, what if he ticks all those boxes which uh, you labelled? Is it possible for Malaysia to perhaps, I wouldn't say avoid a recession because that's a very steep ask. Maybe just, uh, uh, I would say, ease into a lighter recession by probably stimulating the economy. But on the one hand, yeah. if we were to stimulate the economy, we have a problem with inflation as well because... Our most recent inflation figure is four point five percent, higher than the bank's target of two to three percent. And yeah. what, what next? Do we do we expect Anwar to introduce a fiscal policy which is accommodative to the Bank of Ghana Malaysia to lower interest rates? I mean, are we are we mm. looking at that next year? So so I yeah I did write a thread on that um, um also on my tweet tweet on my on my feed um, um, and I think it was titled the next finance minister would have a very tough time um, and, and those are the main points of it um, you know I, I mentioned earlier it's going to be quite hard to avoid um, being dragged down uh, by the so-called recession itself or the global recession itself so so policy wise there's only two things you can do number one is you can actually uh, loosen monetary policy and yes you correctly mentioned that may be tricky because inflation still remains very high 
Um, so Bank Negara's hands may be tied in terms of its aggressiveness in loosening monetary policy because it can't loosen too much if inflation is still stubbornly high. So that leaves what we call a fiscal policy to come in to, to take over from that. And the most um, the, the, the tricky part with, with this situation is we are entering this recession with what we call balance sheets, which are very heavily tilted to the right-hand side. <laughs> if I get it correctly, the right-hand side is always the liability side, which means that a lot of corporations, a lot of individuals have very high, are highly indebted. Um, you know, the, the, the amount of global debt in the world, according to the IIF, uh, um, um, is, is the highest as it's ever been um, across the world in general. Okay, but sp specifically, I think for certain countries, you will find that uh, some not so bad, but most of them a uh, very high amount of household debt and very high amount of corporate debt. Okay, so what does what have what what would that lead to? Well, basically, in a recession itself, um, you will have you what we, what you see is you see your asset side of your liability come off, which is already the case. Cryptos are coming off stocks and shares are coming off, your bonds are coming off. So you see your asset, your, your housing price, your housing values, your house value is coming off. So you see the asset side shrinking. And yet you see the liability side staying, staying stubbornly high because your loans never shrink as fast as your, <laughs> your assets. And, and therefore what you have is you have this, this, this riskiness, balance sheet riskiness because um, um, as your assets shrink, either margin calls set in um, or you start saying, oh boy, I need to de-leverage, I need to pay down my loans. So for every single dollar that you earn and you save, you're not going to consume i.e. you're not going to stimulate the economy. Instead, you're going to take the, the ringgit, so-called, so and you're going to pay, up, pay down your debt. You're going to buy a hutang. And that doesn't create growth because paying off of debt is not, a, is not a, a something which creates a GDP. Okay? Yeah, it, it um, destroys money, right? Yeah. It destroys money, yeah. It's, just not, it's, not, it's not a consumption. It doesn't even exist in the function of, of, of C plus I plus G, X minus M. Okay. So, so what happens basically is you'll find that both the individual and corporations are at risk of, well, it's, it's a good thing to pay, down, to pay down your debt. But when you look at it from a GDP perspective, if the C is paying off their debt, con the consumer's consumption, if the I is paying off their debt, the businesses. Where's the growth going to come from? You're only left with X minus M, which is exports. And if, of course, if global trade comes off and that has never been a very large component in itself, that just leaves the government as the sole provider of growth overall. So if the C plus I, cons the consumers and the, and the businesses, let's say just theoretically reduce their consumption by 10%, the government has to step in to match that 10% in order for growth just to stay stable. I mean, that's just a very simplistic way of looking at it. So that's really the situation we're in today, um, where I think governments, to be fair, governments worldwide uh, will be faced with this situation where central banks' hands are tight. We saw that in the UK. Uh, the UK, basically, central bank had problems because they were fighting inflation and government had to come in with budget and so on. It's just going to be... Everywhere across the world, these, these are the decisions that the governments have to make. If you're a government which has a debt level which is fairly high, Malaysia's debt level is about 62% of GDP at this point um, and very near to the ceiling of 65%. Then you also have another issue, which is how much can I go on a deficit, fiscal deficit, because as I go on a fiscal deficit, it adds on to my debt to GDP and it's limited by my ceiling. And that's why I, I wrote a second 
uh, tweet or thread to say that basically I think Malaysia, by and large, people are expecting it to raise its um, ceiling from 65% of GDP to 70% of GDP. Quite unavoidable, uh, to, to be honest with you. And I don't think we can bl- blame the government because why? Um, you have no choice. You can either stand aside and say that I want to ab- adopt a, uh, austerity, not do anything, and I think the economy will collapse. Um, or you can say, you know, this is really a darura situation, uh, a, a, a necessity situation where I have to increase my debt ceiling, hopefully temporary, but I have to step in to support because the households are not supporting and the businesses are not supporting. I think at the end of the day, raising the debt ceiling is very normal for every country to do la, because the United States have been doing it ever since time started, okay? Uh, that, that <laughs> but I, hope, I hope it's not permanent. I mean, to be honest with you, once you start doing what the US is doing, then yeah. it's kind of irrelevant to have a debt ceiling. I mean, all. if you're looking at the trends of Malaysia's debt-to-GDP debt to ratio, it kind of it kinda, kinda hints that, that part that they're trying to kick the can down the road. La. But, but correct me if I'm wrong here, la, Mr. Sunny. On the one hand, we have Bank Nagara Malaysia trying to tackle inflation, right? They already made their stance clear. They want inflation to go back down to that target goal of 2 to 3%. Therefore, they have been aggressively raising the OPR, which is why we see the current overnight policy rate is 2.75%, which is the fourth consecutive 25 basis point hike since May, if I'm not mistaken. But then on the other hand, when Anwar gets elected, he we all know that he's more market-friendly, he will uh, sort of favour investors more and looking to stimulate the economy, I think. And that will ultimately depend on the government introducing spending, which is the fiscal policies over here, and you mentioned just now. So, one hand, you have the uh, central bank at the brakes trying to cut inflation. The other hand, you have the government at the gas trying to uh, uh, trigger spending. Won't this be like a classic case of what happened to UK in the end of September when the uh, the finance minister introduced tax cuts and then the Bank of England trying to raise interest rates to curb inflation and boom, everything went haywire. Is this possible to happen if the, yes. these two entities yes. do not have enough communication amongst each other? No, in fact, it, it's it's not actually not so much of not enough communication. It's just that the market situation is such that all central banks in the world, all governments in the world, will be faced with this kind of issues. It will be the similar. It is going to be a sim. It is a similar situation in the U.S. In fact, where the Federal Reserve now is keeping rates fairly high, and 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 the U.S. government basically needs to keep on issuing issuing bonds in order to finance its its runaway debt. Um, um, and and so on. So so, because of what we face over the past couple of years, we've just all central banks and governments have been pushed. Their backs have been pushed against the wall now, and it's just a very bad situation to be in. Because you know, if the central bank is truly independent, they will say no. I will not. I will not help you. I will not help finance your fiscal deficit by monetizing your debt by issuing bonds. I'm sorry. Um, because my role is to keep inflation in check. My role is to ensure that I don't, it doesn't go into a Turkish-like hyperinflation situation. So I'm not going to monetize a debt for you. Then the government will be like, and that's why in the U, U, UK itself, and I think in Malaysia and many other parts of the world, the fiscal side, without the central bank monetizing your debt, providing you money, um, uh, you will have to come up with your own ways of of. of of creating fiscal expansionary policy. Um, um, So the few ways of doing that is basically if you can't 
issue bonds, get the central bank to buy those bonds and give you money to, to spend fiscally, then you need to do uh, fiscal expansion via number one, cutting taxes, for example. Of course, the UK did the wrong thing by cutting taxes for the upper end and <laughs> ignoring the lower end. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but again, yeah, again. So anyway, but that's one way you can cut taxes. Uh, um, um, you can try and play around with your budget to release um, certain from certain areas, uh, certain things. I mean, what like for example, what Anwar said was was along the line where he says, you know, we're going to cut back on spending as much as we can. Every ringgit save is is one ringgit for the right. Yeah, I mean, what that really means is that you know, like any household, if you want to create. Uh, uh, a pool of cash, a pool of reserves in order for you to use, you need to cut your expenditure somewhere. So it could, it could be the case where um, you see a lot of um, unnecessary spending being cut in order to release uh, some money in the budget for, for fiscal spending, uh, for fiscal spending itself. So it, there, there are a few ways to go about it if, the, um, if you can't so-called monetize or that, so to say. Uh, yeah. Mm, okay. Okay. But could could Anwar also propose tax cuts like uh not maybe not like what the UK has proposed that uh, because previously whatever they propose is a massive failure. Okay, to to cut tax for the rich. But maybe let's say Anwar cut taxes for maybe, uh, everyone. But maybe the 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 poorer people, lower to middle income people, will it actually prevent help? or prevent Malaysia from spiraling into a recession when compared mm. to other nations next year? The thing is, we don't know how bad the global recession will be. It's it's a dynamic situation because it's not static. We, when we look at data at this particular point in time, it does suggest that we are, we are entering into a global recession. Most economy strategists will tell you it's going to be not so deep at this point, judging from the numbers we have. But the thing is, it's a moving target. Um, when you have things continuing to worsen uh, in China, in, 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 in Europe, and even in the US itself, um, these numbers get revised, these expectations get revised. So as we go along, I mean, six months ago, no one was talking about a, a recession. Everybody was like, oh, are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? Now, more or less, everybody say, okay, we're going to go into a recession. It, may, it looks a bit like a shallow one, maybe a little bit deeper than that. And six months from now, who's going to say, maybe they're going to say, like, you know, it's probably maybe going to be quite deep. Maybe it's going to be like 08 and 2000 and so on. So that's what we call a dynamic situation. It's evolving. The trend is clear. We haven't seen the bottom yet. Um, and therefore, we don't know where the bottom is. So things are deteriorating. Um, everybody's put crossing their fingers, hoping that we'll see some signs of a, 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 a bottoming, but we haven't seen it yet. So no one's betting their last dollar to say this is a shallow recession. It could easily just carry on and become quite deep itself. So what Malaysia does now, and that's why I was quite um, adamant, not say adamant, but I was saying in my tweets that hey, we need to pass the budget ASAP uh, because budgets work with a lag. Uh, you pass the budget, um, the budgets get uh, approved by parliament, the budgets go back to the ministries, the ministries have to do bidding, the companies come and bid, and then the whole process, they have to do due diligence, and then by the time they go down and start building stuff, um, that it in itself takes a long time. Um, uh, and so if 2023 is going to be a recessionary year and by the time the budget is passed and by the time the so-called lag effect of the budget enters into the real economy, it may be the end of 2023. So 
where is that support going to come from from January to to November, for example. <laughs> so so that's the tricky part of, of what we are in at this particular point because um, the budget was again suspended, so things couldn't take off on January the first. Things are probably going to take off, you know, uh, April or May. I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm. Now now that now that you've noted that the uh, the budget 2023 there is a delay, so uh, we we only expect it to take into effect. We only expect it to stimulate the economy in uh, late twenty twenty three or perhaps early twenty twenty four, which is uh, pretty much we are we are one year standing on no feet or maybe even one feet, and with that now, does your sentiment or prediction towards the Malaysian ringgit change? Are we looking at the Malaysian ringgit to fall further against the US dollar, or or are we looking at the ringgit to rally ahead? I mean, like, go go back down to the levels again. Is there is there like a support level that we need to take note of or whatnot? Everybody, um, you see, when you look at the dollar index itself, um, you'll find that historically, dollar index has topped out, topped out roughly around this area. Um, I can't remember how many years it goes back, thirty years or twenty years itself. <clears throat> but around around this area, you find that the one it was about one twenty, if I'm if I if I'm not wrong, and we came up to about one ten or, or around there. I can't recall. Yeah, one one fifteen. Yes, yes. Yeah. So one one twenty was where historically it starts to U turn. So and that has happened. So. So, you know, we're coming to year end. I won't be surprised if people are taking profit on their long dollar positions. So, so therefore, and also, you know, it's a good place to take because it's historical high. It's near to where it typically you turn. So, we've got a lot of this happening at this particular point in time. If you go into 2023 and the Federal Reserve says, does what, what it says and keeps interest rates where they are or even higher from, in fact, higher from where they are today, okay, and doesn't relent, you are going to have U.S. interest rates at above five percent and staying above five percent for the whole of twenty twenty three. Okay, emerging market central banks, even Australia, even the ECB, they are not beholden to the U.S. They don't have to follow the U.S. They may start cutting rates because of what's happening in their countries. And what do we have? We have again one more time widening interest rates between the U.S. and whoever, whatever country, for example, Malaysia, if Malaysia starts to cut rates. And you, are, you and I know what will happen when interest rate differential widens between the U.S. and the ringgit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward, really. Yeah. It's plain as day what will happen. Uh, and, and it's like, like what we've previously experienced, uh, you know, like uh, the Bank of Grand Malaysia, although we try and catch up with interest rate hikes, but the Federal Reserve is three times more aggressive than what we are, what we are portraying right now. So, so, so when we when you talk about this in terms of the Federal Reserve keeping interest rates high and and possibly not pivoting, because uh, I think the recent minutes of meeting and also the recent uh, 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 FOMC statements from the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell did not say anything about pivoting. Also, and when someone asked I'll, him about, I'll, I'll right? tell you why the Fed won't pivot. Very, okay, very okay. simple. The Fed looks back into the 1970s. Okay, um, that was the last time where where energy prices was high and they had so-called inflation um, shooting up very high. When they look back to the 1970s, they look at their colleagues back then. What did they do? Well, the Federal Reserve back then, the committee back then, um, inflation was high. They raised rates. Okay, once inflation started to show signs of coming off, they actually reduced rates because they didn't want the economy to go into a tailspin. Okay, so they reduced rates. What happened next? 
inflation came back into the picture. What did they? What did the Federal Reserve have to do? They had to raise rates again, and then inflation came down. Then the Federal Reserve eased off, and inflation came back up again. Then the Federal Reserve had to come in and raise rates again, and that's why when you look at any uh, GDP nominal GDP uh, chart of the U.S., where they always shade those gray areas to show you where uh, recessions are, you'll find that between 1970 to 1984, um, you'll find about four or five recessions. And from 1984 to today, you'll find another four, four or five recessions. So you have four or five recessions between 1985 to 2020. Okay, and that's how many years. At 35 years, you've got only five recessions. But between that 15-year period, between 1970 to 1985, there were about four or five recessions all bunched up during that short period of time. Why? Because of this so-called start and stop, start and go monetary policy. And that's what the Federal Reserve is trying to communicate and has clearly communicated to everybody we do not want to repeat what our colleagues did in the 1970s by sending the economy into several multiple recessions. We want to keep rates high in order to make sure that we kill off inflation. It's dead, done, buried before we actually reduce interest rates. That's what they have clearly. So you find some commentators um, 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 agreeing to this, and, and one half of the boat is saying this. The other half of the boat who's saying that they will pivot is actually not so much of um, um, the fact that they see inflation coming off, they're pivoting because of inflation. No. The other part of the, the boat which is saying that they will pivot is because of either one or two things. Number one is there's going to be a financial crisis. Um, you've raised rates too much, something's going to break, there's going to be a financial crisis, you're going to be forced to go and cut rates. And another second thing is, there's going to be, your, the economy is going to go into a tailspin so much so that you are, so it's going to be, there's going to be an economic crisis, so you're going to be forced to cut rates. So, so, so you can see basically that um, um, by and large, the Federal Reserve is not going to cut rates unless there is a financial crisis or there is an economic crisis. Oh, so the pivoters, so we call them, are the ones who are hoping for the world to end. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But, but uh, for those of you guys who are in the audience who are wondering like, what, is, what does pivot mean? Basically, let me give you an example. Uh, okay, a very simple example. Imagine you're driving a car. Okay, Right now, you're driving at a speed of 120 miles per hour, which is actually pretty fast. When the Federal Reserve says that they will lower interest rate hikes, that doesn't mean that they will pivot. It just means that they are slowing down the car from 120 miles per hour to about 100 miles per hour. But when we talk about pivoting, that's literally stopping the car, shifting to reverse gear, and reverse the car backwards. Okay? So so, so just now, what Mr. Sunny talked about, the pivoting is essentially the Federal Reserve. They stop at the whatever interest rate currently is, and then they start to reduce the interest rate, which is instead of plus 75 basis points, they go like, minus 25 basis points and that will really have a significant impact on the economy like considering uh, what the federal reserve pathway federal reserves pathway have has been so far which is aggressively raising interest rates i think uh, it's about what 12 15 already we only want to continue about maybe 15 20 more minutes because uh, mr sunny has to sleep earlier by the way <laughs> oh man yeah, because uh, uh, Mr. Yeah. Sunny is, although he's a Malaysian, but he's currently working in Singapore. Sorry to dox you, Mr. Sunny. No worries. And, uh, and uh, you, you, have, you don't have a Monday public holiday, which is a bit sad. 
Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for anyway. rubbing it in. <laughs> I, I purposely, I purposely want. I wanted to, you know, rub it into you a bit. More. But anyway, I want to, I want to talk more a bit about the. Um, Are there any anybody who uh, on, on requesting to speak? Maybe yes, actually, yeah. The, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Break, yeah. Just, just now, just now, they were quite. There were like one or two people requesting okay. to speak. Then I wanted to approve them. Then they went down. But uh, okay. right now, okay. if there are anybody in the audience who wants to join our discussion. We are completely chill, okay, guys? Just come up here, talk with us, join our discussion. If there are any questions, just ask away. We are probably going to continue this session for about another 15 to uh, 20 minutes. Okay, right now, let, let's just shift back into Malaysia's side uh, because we talk about the Federal Reserve, we talk about the entire world already. What should Anwar do right now? What should he do? I mean, like, the next week or so, what is the most important thing that he has to carry out? In order to you know improve Malaysia's economy or maybe strengthen he, 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 he has to elect a cabinet because he can't do everything himself. <laughs> <laughs> apart yeah, from yeah. that, I think apart from that, I think also electing the right finance minister, right? That that one is really crucial to 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 de- determine Malaysia's economy over the next yeah, few years. That's an interesting. That's an interesting one. Everybody's asking for Rafizi to be uh, FM, Finance Minister. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I may be out of date on this. Um, is there an economic minister? Someone, uh, is it, someone in the EPU, is it? Or, or, or someone in the Jabatan Penada Menteri or, or something like that? From what I know, there is only Finance Minister. I'm not too sure about this. Okay. I don't think maybe there's some, an maybe economics the minister. Yeah, maybe someone in the, yeah, crowd. Maybe someone yeah. In the crowd. Because yeah. if there is an economics <laughs> minister, there's going there's definitely going to be a spending minister. There's definitely going to be a deficit <laughs> the, the minister. Reason, the, yeah, the reason the reason I'm saying that is because um, the to me Rafizi is probably better positioned to be someone who has a helicopter view to be to to someone put in a position. Um, that gives him a helicopter view and a view into the future and, and the ability to do things. Um, um, being finance minister is great. It's just that um, you'll be bogged down a lot by um, current trying to balance your budget, trying not to say balance your budget, sorry, trying to manage your budget, um, um, find out where you can increase spending, how you can pay off your 1MDB uh, installments and stuff like that. So, so, so that bogs down anybody in the finance minister role. Whereas I always see Rafizi as someone who has ideas, who potentially, you know, you know what, what, what's missing from Malaysia, um, in my view, is someone who can see 10 steps ahead um, and, 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 and says that this is where we need to get the economy to be and this is how we are going to do it. Um, so someone has to have that vision. Um, and, and someone has to be the one that puts all the chess, chess p- pieces um, um, in play um, so that that vision is actually, um, um, you know, can come, come, can come true. Um, otherwise, everybody is, is, is just on a year-to-year basis and such. We've got a lot of issues which are climate change, food security, uh, competitiveness and such. And these are multi-year um, challenges. These are not things which you know you can solve in one or two years. So someone has to come in and set that policy right. Um, and and it seems to me, I, I mean, again, I can be wrong. I don't know Rafizi myself, but um, from what from the very few 
interviews I've seen of him, he does look like someone who has that vision um, to to see much further than than a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Okay, because the part where you mentioned, you know, right now it's true like a lot of politicians uh, within our cabinet they they are just looking to get reelected lah, and a lot of their policies is very short term. They just tell what the rakyat wants to hear how we are going to, you know, cut taxes, whatnot, or whatever the policies that they are try to, trying to propose. And at the end of the day, the, the longer-term impact is rarely considered la, as long as they get re-elected into power. But um, looking at our current finance minister, which is still Tengku Zafru, what do you think, Mr. Sunny? do you think he has done, uh, I would say, a decent job on managing Malaysia's economy right now, looking at, uh, looking at it as, as a whole, la? Well, I, 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 to be honest with you, I have no comments. I, I don't know mm-hmm. enough of. I've not followed what he's done and such. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can't. I, I, I would refrain from commenting. Okay. Basically, yeah. What, what about the Malaysian Central Bank? Okay, Malaysian Central Bank. We have, uh, raised the OPR by four, mm-hmm. four times consecutively, twenty five basis points in total, mm-hmm. hundred basis points already since May. Mm-hmm. Do you think that we are on the right trajectory right now? Do you think? the Malaysian Central Bank is doing well to fight inflation or are we missing something here? I think they're, 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 they're on the right track. Um, inflation is present, so therefore you need to tighten monetary policy. Um, it's not an easy thing to do, especially when now you have to... It's easy to do when your economy is doing well. It's going to be harder to do when your economy is going the other way. Um, what, I, what I can say is, you know, I've... Well, I, my previous job, I used to kind of work with the, or at least I had communication with the central bank. Um, the Malaysian central bank, few other central banks in the region and such. They're, they're staffed by very good people. Um, you know, some of my um, uh, ex, ex uh, not classmates, but, but how do you call them, uh, came from the same school. I was from MRSM Kuantan the last time. Um, they work, they're, they're in the central bank now in very high position. They're very smart people. So I I have no doubt that the central bank, as long as it can maintain its independence from politics, um, um, will serve and and it serve its mandate out lah. So I I have no doubt about it. So it's sometimes not the issue with the central bank; it's just the cards being dealt to the central bank, i.e. a very difficult position where you have high interest rates softening economy, strong dollar, no central bank, you know. You know, Malaysia is not even in a bad position compared to to Australia, to um, what was that other country? I think uh, was it UK. UK was it UK? Yeah, UK. percent. Yeah. No, and no, not even the inflation. I'm talking about the central banks who who conducted um uh, quantitative easing. Turkey. Uh, or, uh, no, quantitative uh, easing back then. The the G seven oh. central banks like Australia and I think the UK also, um, and currently even the US. Um, all of them are with negative equities because all the bonds that they've they've put onto their balance sheets now uh, are yielding negative um, uh, mark to markets because when they bought those bonds it was at zero interest rates now it's the interest rate has gone up. Um, even the Federal Reserve, the latest numbers, the Federal Reserve used to be what we call a net contributor to the government coffers. Um, every time it, it it made money, it would transfer money over to the government. Um, uh, most recent numbers are negative, so I'm just trying to say that you know central banks around the world are grappling with with all these things coming at the same time. Because why? Because we've had this really um, uh, mind-boggling past ten years. 
zero interest rates, negative interest rates, massive amount of liquidity, things that which have caused a massive amount of misallocation and such. And I think we're just seeing the, the results of that at this particular point now, beginning to see. Mm, I mean, tracing back to what you always say, right now is is really you are facing an everything bubble. And mm. when you look at it, right, when you look at Malaysia as a whole and you compare it to other countries, is, am I wrong to say that Malaysia it could be it could be worse, okay? But when you compare to other countries, we are actually quite okay, you know. When we compare to UK, you know, when you compare to Turkey, you compare to Sri Lanka, I think yeah. Malaysia is has done quite a decent job in 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 managing its economy and and keeping Malaysians afloat. Obviously, a lot of Malaysians are still suffering from the rising cost of living, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you look at other countries like France, more recently they have like a, a protest because they're out of gas. One one third of petrol stations were out of gas or something. And and when we look back at our country, I think uh, we as Malaysians shouldn't complain about everything. Like, we should at least look at what we currently have. Right? Because uh, what, what do you think, Mrs. Honey? Do you think that we have done quite an okay job so far? Because you are from Singapore, I think you really know how to look at Malaysia. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I'm assuming this question is very macro, macro kind of question. Very, yes, macro, very, macro. We're very not looking at the politics. Uh. Yeah, we're not very, looking high up, very high up kind of uh, question. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So when you look at Malaysia in terms of rank, various rankings, you always find Malaysia roughly in the middle of the pack, um, by and large. Okay, Whether it's um, GDP per capita, whether it's some kind of education measure, whether it's some kind of poverty measure. And so I think roughly speaking, it's, it's, it's in the middle. I may be wrong. Some of them may be higher, some of them may be lower, but you, you get a sense that it's there. So it does well for against many countries, but it also is lagging behind quite a few other countries. And it's quite concerning sometimes when in, on certain measures, you see Vietnam ahead of us and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, my 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 experience tells me that Malaysia ought to be much better where uh, much better compared to where it is today. Much much better. Um, uh, just to give you an example, um, and I hope I don't bore everybody. Uh, I I used to work for a rating agency. Um, probably I can say which name So I used to work for Standard and Poor's. Uh, ratings and I used to work in the ratings team, which means I I I was in charge of rating uh, the the ratings of certain countries, which included, coincidentally, Malaysia. Um, and and so therefore we always looked at various uh, uh, parameters in order to measure ratings and such. Um, and and Malaysia comes out pretty okay when it comes to spending on education, spending on infrastructure as a percentage of GDP, as a percentage of whatever, compared to other countries. So it was spending money in all the right places, you know. And and therefore, um, when you look at it, um, countries at a certain stage of growth, it, it's okay to have a de- negative fiscal deficit, no problem. It's okay to have a high amount of debt to GDP, no problem. Why? Because you're growing. Um, you know, even companies at a very early stage, they start to burn money and, and you know, before they start to earn money, they'll burn a lot of money and they go in debt and so on. But that's part and parcel of, of, of early stage, mid-stage kind of growth. Um, so when you talk about debt to GDP and those of you who understand, um, debt is the uh, numerator and GDP is the denominator. 
Okay, uh, the expectation always is if you spend your debt or you incur debt and you incur it in the correct places, places which are productive, infrastructure, uh, education, healthcare, and such, eventually what will happen is it will allow your country to grow much faster, which means your denominator, which is GDP, will grow at a much faster pace than your debt, which is the numerator. So effectively, your debt to GDP would come down eventually as the spending on productive factors start to stimulate economic growth in the future. Okay, so so that has more or less, that's the premise more or less. Lah. The problem with Malaysia was, is probably, still is, is that while the spending, a lot of spending was done on infrastructure, education, even maybe healthcare and such, maybe that growth didn't come come along as strong as it ought to be, as fast as it ought to be. Okay. Um, and one can make theories as to why that is the case. Because either the money didn't was spent but wasn't spent in the correct way. I.e. you build your roads, your roads deteriorate instead of 20 years before you need to do the, the your, your roads again, it deteriorates in five years' time then you need to dig it up and start building it back again. Or it could be the case where, uh, like the like the place I visited in Barrio, Sarawak, where, um, and if those of you who have been to Barrio or heard of Barrio, it's very famous for its salt and also it's um, uh, uh, Barrio rice. So I went to the factory um, that, that produces the famous Barrio salt. It was a dilapidated, run-down factory and, and about 100 meters from that factory was a new factory. It was a just very swanky, modern factory, but it wasn't in use. I asked the fellow, I said, you've got the new factory. Why aren't you using the new factory? Why are you staying back at the old factory? Oh, they said, oh, they came, they built it. They had a big ceremony to, 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 to officiate it. Everybody went away. Uh, guess what? They built the factory in the wrong place. Because 100 meters away from where we are, there's no salt. We can't, we can't drill for salt. We can't create the salt. We can't, we can't mine the salt. So effectively, what you had was you had um, um, a GDP being created for that particular year that the building was being built, but there was no productivity thereafter. It was one-off. So probably that's what we've been seeing all the while. A lot of these projects being undertaken um, um, yes they're being delivered sometimes in very bad quality you know mao signs boom jato and stuff like that you know uh, and thereafter maintenance costs you know disruption and so on and you sometimes like this barrio case where nothing takes place things just take place at the old center not the new center it doesn't translate into higher growth into the future okay so so that is my disappointment if you were to ask me uh, if if this administration, any future administration can solve this this jigsaw puzzle or this thing. I think we are in for a better trajectory going forward um, for the amount of money that we have been spending on the economy. If not, we would just be chugging along um, um, in a way which I feel is quite um, sad lah, because we could be doing much better. Yeah, I mean, good point. Good points you covered over there, like You basically were talking about misallocation, right? Like essentially, you you invested so much in a particular project, and then at the end of the day, you realize, oh, oh, there is no natural resource there, 
there is no salt there to mine or whatnot, and the entire project goes to waste. So uh, probably we're seeing a lot of that in Malaysia. Lah. But when, when I guess you compare to countries like China, oh, China is way worse lah, when, you, when we talk about that lah, because the, the real estate crisis of China, we haven't even dived deep into that. And, and if we want to do, uh, if you want to talk about that, we will need an, another session entirely because right now I believe China is in a big, big mess. And, and, and let's, just, let's just latch on a bit right here, like China. Because um, China is Malaysia's biggest trading partner or, or perhaps the other, the other way around, right? I think it's, yeah, China is Malaysia's biggest trading partner, if they're correct. And if China were to have like a massive crisis internally, I mean, a real estate crisis, and then they, have, they also have the banking scandals, the contagion will def will definitely affect Malaysia, right, Mister Sun? Uh, yes. I mean, that's there are two things. Whenever you talk about any um country or markets, is there's always two things. And one is cyclical, one is uh, um circular. I.e., one is the primary trend, and another one is the secondary trend. So you when you talk about bubbles and stuff yeah that's the so-called business cycle up and down um it will cause trouble when that bursts if that bursts and it's already bursting so yes you correctly mentioned and we've seen the repercussion country highs and stuff like that let's say country high country gardens <laughs> sorry i got it wrong <laughs> yeah there's also there's also one property in johor right? i think yeah, johor yeah. there's uh, this yeah, forest so, city yeah it's yeah. a ghost town yeah, yeah. so it's so we, we have that we have the issues but but um um to me the more interesting and challenging issue for China, for China is actually the demographics. Uh, because the Chinese population, because of its prior one-child policy, is shrinking at such an accelerated pace. Um, it's, I think it's, if, it's, if it hasn't peaked, it's very near to its peak. And from here onwards, it's just going to go down. Um, and because you, if you understand the one-child policy, is basically you've got um, two sets of parents, each of them having one child. And so this one boy and one girl, for example, and they get married. And so from four people, you now have two people. That in itself tells you that the Chinese population could effectively halve in the next generation. Um, and that tells you basically that whatever economic model that the Chinese have pursued prior to this would have to change very quickly to accommodate um, uh, much fewer labor, much smaller domestic markets, domestic consumption, and I think that's that's the interesting part to me when I when I when I look at China. Yeah, I mean, when we look at China, also the the part where how it has risen so fast and be able to compete with uh, other economies such as the US, Russia, etc. is because of its. Uh, urbanizing its rural population, right? Before the 1990s, you had about 60 to 80% of Chinese living in rural areas. Then the government decided to move all of them into urban areas, give them discounts on flats or properties, etc., etc. And you have this massive migration of, uh, of uh, rural citizens into urban areas and therefore really propping up the Chinese economy. Right? And right now, as you, mentioned just, uh, as you mentioned just now, also the one-child policy is really starting to destroy China's uh, projection in terms of economic projection. Yeah, I think it's pretty much uh, coming to the end of our session already, 12.30, we don't want to uh, do this session for too long. 
uh, I, let's let's just go with our last thoughts over here like, since there are no questions. Uh, by the way, guys, in the audience, if you have any questions, now's the best time to ask. Do just uh, send us a message, DM us if you are shy, or just request to be a speaker. We immediately approve you and we'll probably extend the session a bit longer if you guys have any questions. But uh, meanwhile, while waiting for questions, last thoughts for tonight's session, Mrs. Sunny? Any last words that you want to say to Malaysians? Oh, okay. Let's make this session useful for everyone. How How... how how would you prepare for a recession, Mrs. Sunny? I know you've covered this many times before, but for those listeners who haven't uh, listened to you before, those new listeners, what's the best way to prepare for a recession? Wow. <laughs> well, I guess it's, it's different from everybody. Um, um, but I think the common general principles would be to... I mean, in fact, um, Jeff Bezos... Um, recently had an interview with CNN, if I'm not wrong, and his and he was giving his advice for individuals and companies uh, as to what to do. He was telling companies don't invest, keep cash, and he was telling individuals don't spend, keep cash. Um, I mean, you know, uh, and and that is really um, the the basis of preparing for recessions. Um, if you talk to any financial advisor, they'll tell you deleverage if you are leveraged. Uh, because if you don't deleverage, you'll find that your asset side of your balance sheet will shrink, your liability side will not shrink as fast. And at reach a certain point, if your assets go down much further, you will be caught in a margin call and you will be caught in a situation where you know, once your creditors call back your assets, you're dead. Uh, sorry, call back your liability, you're dead because you have to sell assets at a depressed price. So deleveraging is very important, especially if you're the type which leverage, leverages up a lot. Okay, um, uh, keeping keeping nimble, keeping a lot of your assets in um, um, uh, very liquid assets. I think that would be the the next thing I would I would actually say. Um, there is something called a liquidity crunch that's happening in the markets. Um, and and if you ask people who are in the market, some of them will tell you that wow, it's 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 bad, and some of them are not sure what's going on and stuff. Um, it's a liquidity crunch is basically where sometimes you want to dispose of assets, you find it very difficult. Um, you, you know, you 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 find this quite common in sometimes um, um, property markets. Um, it's it's a big chunky asset. Um, you want to sell it, no one wants to buy it, and that's it. You're stuck. You know, you're, you're, you're gone, basically, because even though you, you want to sell no one, and that's really what this liquidity issue is all about. People just, because of the outlook, because of the fear, they just decide that I'm not going to buy at this particular point. And if you're a seller, too bad. Okay. So while, while there's still an opportunity sometimes to unload some of your excessive like, uh, leveraged assets, uh, I would take that opportunity um and 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 i mean apart from that is not to overspend and do things which you normally do it's a bit like what anwar is doing he's trying to save every single penny now i mean again i'm just judging from what i see uh um you know don't do the don't 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 change the carpets when you translate it over to the to your home don't change the new kitchen cabinets you know of course you have you run the risk of your wife not talking to you but those are the things whatever capital spending you may want to have you may want to do you may want to hold it back a bit uh in just in case uh we enter into a fairly sharp recession uh, we're already seeing all the job losses in the u.s i will not be surprised if we get a lot of them happening here and across the world this is 
just very typical of a down cycle. Uh, on the way up, everybody is like just hiring, hiring, hiring. And if you've been through recessions like me, you will know that on the way down, everybody will start firing, 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 which is very common. Uh, some of you who are much younger than me, who have not gone through the 2000 recession, who have not gone through the 1998 recession, you may not know what I'm talking about, but yeah, you just have to be aware. Yeah, extremely good points over there, Mrs. Sunny. Thank you so much. If I were to just uh, add on to what you just said, I mean, my personal uh, way to prepare for a recession is to ensure that you have enough liquidity for at least six months. Remember to save up six months of rainy day funds that you can use anytime. Uh, keep your nine to five job if you can. Now is the worst time to go and say that my employer sucks. I want to leave my job. I'm going to find a new job. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that period is gone guys i mean we have to accept it we have to go and bite the bullet we have to i, I know like, some of you a lot of us in malaysia are getting exploited okay which is which is like you're an accountant you're expected to work nine to nine weekend you're also expected to, to answer the boss phone call but uh looking at the bright side at least you still have a job i mean the last thing you want is to not to have a steady stream of income. That's the ultimate point over here. And and wherever avenues you can earn additional income, maybe just go for it. Okay? If you want to write a book or perhaps start a business, do a Twitter account, or maybe just help somebody ghostwrite or do some YouTube video or something like that. If there's any avenues for you to earn income, especially probably in a stronger currency, US dollar, that you can try and take that risk. It's entirely okay. Uh, and and the one that I like, which which is from Han that I still remember, uh, certified financial planner also is to DCA regularly if you have a DCA plan, but rebalance your portfolio. Okay, you you, you make sure you have a, like a portfolio pie chart of your assets, and uh, remember to rebalance accordingly into your risk preference or, or manage your risk accordingly, la. And obviously, just to I would say ensure ourselves, me and Mister Sunny over here, do not take anything we say as financial advice, okay? These are just our thoughts on how we would uh, prepare for a recession. Right, Mr. Sunny? <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because ultimately, everybody's financial position is different and everybody's uh, uh, appetite of risk is different. So, we might say something today, it might not be entirely uh, relevant to you guys. So, I think since there are um, no more questions, let me just quickly recheck back the comments and my DMs. Mr. Sunny, you got any DMs or any questions for, from, from, from the audience? Uh, no, no, not that I can see. Okay, okay. Uh, which, which either it means that the audience is uh, very smart or, or they weren't listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> At least they have one eye on the, uh, on the game, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, obviously, please do give us a follow at The Futurist. Just tap on our profile, press follow if you like tonight's session. And... Once you follow us, make sure you follow Mr. Sunny as well. Mr. Sunny is the advisor of the Futurist. Whatever content that we post out, uh, some of it actually goes to Mr. Sunny to make sure that the quality is top-notch. And if you missed the earlier part of the session, do not worry. We will post this uh, recording in our Spotify by hopefully latest Tuesday or Wednesday. Like, depend, depends on how much I procrastinate, okay, guys? <laughs> Alright, guys. Good night. Uh, enjoy your holiday on Monday. And... Um, Stay safe out there, guys. Okay, Bye. Thank you. Bye -bye. Hey, thanks, Mrs. Sunny. Bye-bye.